Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? How are we doing today? Awesome. It's like Fourth of July weekend. Come on. There's coffee out there. You can get caffeinated up and all that stuff. Well, good. Well, hey, I'm Steve Van Meter. If you guys don't know who I am, if you haven't met me, um, I'm on staff here at uh, Medina East Campus. And what I do is I pretty much uh, help oversee our Give It Away. And so what that means, if you've been around, you know this is our mission statement. We want to know it, live it, give it away, it being the gospel. And so that give it away piece, what does that mean? Um, Basically means I help with all of our disciple making. So that disciple making training, you should go to that. Right? There's my, there's my plug for you guys. It'll be great. Um, we also, I also help oversee our uh, local and global missions as well. So if you're passionate about those kind of things and you're, you're interested in learning more or helping out with that, definitely want to encourage you to meet me after the service or my email is in the programs that you guys would have received and you can email me and we can talk more about those things. So good. That's a little bit about me other than, you know, I'm married to my awesome wife Maggie. I have two boys and a girl on the way. And so, yeah, now we're best friends. Cool. Very good. So we've been in this series, though, for quite a while now. We've been talking about this thing called the, um, the Everyday Revolution. Okay, that's a series that we've been in. If you've been with us for a little bit, you've been in the series with us. And we've been talking about something called the household codes. Okay, the household codes. What is that? It's basically a term used in both secular and biblical studies to kind of define or to talk about the typical family life. And so how those relationships work out within the family, okay? How those kind of relationships go about. So we talked about parenting, and last week we, talked, we finished talking about generations and those kind of relationships and that kind of conversation. And so if you haven't been able to get a chance to check that out, you can see all of that at medinaeast.graceohio.org, or feel free to download our free Grace Church app on your phone, and you can pick up all the sermons and things there all for free to you. So um, last week... It was awesome. If you guys were here, we had uh, Pastor Jeff Bogue, senior pastor of All Grace Church. He was here last week, and he talked to us. And I know for me, it was like a really, really impactful message. So did anybody get to hear that last week? Anybody? Okay, cool. So hopefully it impacted you, too, as we learn more about um, the young generation and um, kind of how Jeff uh, feels about that. And I know what happens, right? Um, this happens for me. I'm in this sermon last week, listening to Jeff, and I get really fired up about what he's talking about. And I'm like, yeah, like we got to go do this or whatever it is. And then Monday hits and we go back to work. And then all of a sudden it's Sunday again right now. And I'm going to tell you something else you should do and how to follow Jesus and more and more stuff. And so I would just encourage you, if that impacted you, to like act on those things. And so if you weren't here for that, basically what Jeff said was, that Grace Church, that we do invest in the younger generation. We equip and train people really like myself um, for ministry. And so I just want to say thank you to all of you guys here. Um, Each and every one of you has either directly or indirectly invested in me and my family um, in in the efforts here at Grace Church. You guys have bought into that vision and that mission. And so thank you guys um, for supporting all of that. And, um, you know, we see the fruit of that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be up here if it wasn't for our leadership and for you guys supporting this kind of mission. So thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Give yourselves a little clap for that, right? Okay, good. All right. Yeah. I like this. Feedback is good. Okay. So, um, like I said, well, um, part of that investment was that they, they actually helped me go to seminary. Okay, and so I just got back from my seminary. My seminary is in Portland, Oregon, so Oregon, whatever. Um, so I go online to that school. A couple of us here do that too. And so I was actually there for eight days a week ago, and it was pretty intense. Imagine this. I had two courses worth of lectures in one week. 
So it was eight to five every day. I was just blasted with lectures. So it was an intense week. But I might as well tell you guys a story about Portland, right? So um, I go out there, and I meet about 30 of my classmates from all around the world. It's really cool. So new friends, new um, networking opportunities. And whenever I go to a new place or, or have time like that, I like to check out different churches. Um, I didn't grow up in the church at all, and so really Grace Church was my first exposure to the church. And so anytime I get a chance to check out other churches, and I like to do that just to see what it's like, see what they're about. And so I'm looking up different churches in the area, and there's a church that I like down there called, um, over there called Door of Hope. And when I was looking it up, they're having a Wednesday service. They called it Church in the Park. And I was like, that's cool. They're going to have like church in a park. I want to check that out. So I had a couple other guys to go check it out with me. Um, after, after being lectured, we went and got some food to get re- re-energized. And then I get in my Prius rental car in Portland, and I drive over there to the park. And um, one of the guys was, was following me, and another group of people left before us. And so we get to this park, this guy and I, my friend, um, we get there, and we're like, this is very unusual, right? So we see a ton of people, like more than we expected, and we see a ton of bikes, too. But that's like Portland. It's, it's a really weird place, by the way. I fit in really well out there. Um, so if you don't know me, you know that that's coming. There's more awkwardness and weirdness to come, I promise you. But um, that's Portland. So I'm like, man, should we have brought our bike? What's going on? There's like tons of bikes everywhere. And this is kind of weird for like a church service. I haven't been a part of something like this. So we didn't think anything too much. It just, and by the way, it just didn't seem like the right, like the, the normal church crowd at first, okay? But I'm like, whatever, it's Portland, cool. Um, so we're getting on our phones and we're texting these other friends of ours, trying to see where they're at. They should have beaten us to this park. So we're trying to figure out whose number we have, um, where they're at. And I'm also texting my wife because I haven't talked to her in a little while. And, I'll, and out of nowhere, as I'm on my phone, my buddy Joshua I was with, he kind of taps me. He's like, dude, um, I'm not trying to be judgmental here, but, like, is something really off and weird about this? Like, I don't really know what to do with this. Like, the people are just different, and there's a lot of people dressed up, right? And he's like, have you ever seen the Big Lebowski? And I'm like, well, I think I've seen it a little while ago. And he said, there's a lot of people that are dressed up like the dude. So I had to Google it, and so I'll show it to you guys. If you guys haven't seen the movie, um, this is the dude, Okay. So, pretty cool dude. But literally, there's men and women dressed up, like having this, uh, this exact sweater on, people in robes and stuff like that. We just started seeing more and more people dressed up. And we're like, okay, he kind of looks like Jesus. Maybe they're just taking the, the whole Jesus thing serious here in Church in the Park. I don't know. Um, kind of weird. But what we ended up finding out is that we were in the wrong place. <laughs> there's, uh, uh, there's like this construction site in the church that broke off into more ch- uh, uh, not in the church, but a construction site in the park, and there was more park outside of that. So one of our buddies comes out from there, and he's like, guys, this way. And we're like, oh, great, this is this was so weird. And then we missed like half the service, but it was pretty cool. We should do that sometime, church in the park. I don't know, maybe not. We'll dress up like this, right? Anyways, why do I tell you that story? I think it was funny. Plus, it's the beginning of a sermon. It's like what you got to do. You got to tell a story, get people, you know, there you go. So there's my job. All right. But I think, I think what we're going to see is we're going to get to a passage today, and this is the passage. So we're going to go in Colossians 3. So if you have a Bible, um, or if you don't, you can grab those Bibles below your chairs, black Bibles. It's in page 823 in those Bibles. However you get there, just get to Colossians 3. That's where we're going to be landing for the rest of our time. So I think this story connects a little bit because right off the bat, when we get into this passage, we're going to see a word, we're going to see some things, and we're going to be like, I don't know what to do with this, okay? So we're talking about household codes, and we just, start, we just ended talking about um, generations, and now we're going to be talking about work today. So how does this relate? So what's that first word you see in your Bibles? Anybody have it up? Louder? Can't hear you. 
I know it's weird to like get interaction from everybody. It's good. Slaves. So um, we look at this word, and some of your translations might say bond servants. So you're either going to see slaves or bond servants, and we can immediately say like, what do we do with this? And especially in relationship to the question that we've been asking through this whole series, the question is this: Does God have an ideal for our everyday relationships? Does God have an idea? Does he have something to say for our everyday relationships, specifically found in these different household code passages, which this is one of them, Colossians 3. Okay, so how does he have an idea with something called, something that says slavery, okay, or slaves? Let's talk about it. Let's read the passage to kind of start figuring this out here. Verse 22 says this, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when there is Sorry, not, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. The last part here, verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Okay, going back here. So if you're looking, if you're a younger generation, you're getting excited about being equipped by the church, um, this is the kind of investment you get, right? Pastor Tony comes up to me. He's like, hey, dude, you want to preach? I'm like, that sounds terrifying. Sure, I'll preach. What am I going to preach on? Boom. So thank you for that. That's real good. But, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about this, and we're going to get back to the, the original language a little bit, and we're going to see exactly what's going on here. Because one thing we just have to talk about is that people have and will interpret however they choose to, okay? We, we've seen this in our history. Maybe this is us in the room. Maybe for you or for somebody that you know who maybe not be a church person or look at the Bible um, in different ways, maybe you look at this and you interpret it this way. You say, see, this is exactly why I can't or do not trust the Bible. They appear to be um, condoning or supporting slavery. So we can easily pick out passages and see what we think it says without really realizing it. Or... And we've seen this in our American history. We've seen people go to this passage or others like it and say, see, this is exactly why I trust the Bible because it seems to support slavery. So we've interpreted it that way, especially in our American history as well. Or for others of us, we just look at this passage and we just completely ignore it, right? Um, before here, it starts talking about like husbands and wives, like, okay, I can get on board with that. Um, and then all of a sudden slaves, you look at that and you're like, ah, I'm just going to move on to the next chapter, right? It's easy for us to do, to really kind of ignore this and other places in the Bible that might seem hard or difficult to talk about. So, let's just answer the question real quick. Does the Bible support slavery? What do you guys think? I'll give you a hint. No. <laughs> All right? Just straight up. No, the Bible does not support slavery, okay? Um, the thing is that people have mistakenly made the Bible out to say whatever they want it to say. Just this last week in my life group, we were talking about like the Jefferson Bible, and if you guys know what that is, it's like when Jefferson cut out the pages that he didn't like and kept the pages that he does, right? People can easily do that with the Bible. So the reason I can say no here is because slavery was a social construct made by humans, okay? It wasn't something that God had made. However, God put special provisions on this social construct, okay? This is something that um, man did. And God had something to say about it, which is totally different than how the culture at the time viewed 
um, this aspect of slavery. In fact, it was actually pretty, insta- pretty astonishing that Paul would even address these type of people. If you read Plato and other people like that, they have a really, really negative view on slaves or on bond servants, basically saying that they are worthless, they amount to nothing. And here we go, the, the Bible comes along, and people of the Bible come and they say, no, you actually have a place in the kingdom of God. You have a place with Jesus, okay? And so another question that might arise, and I know this is one that I was asking myself in my study, I'm like, why didn't Christianity seem to abolish slavery then? Well, I have a quote for that. This is um, a commentary that I was reading and studying, and it says this, The church was a tiny minority in a pagan empire whose policies it had no immediate prospect of influencing. Furthermore, the emancipated slave would not necessarily have been the better off for losing his economic status. Okay, so Christianity, these people, there was a small pocket of them at this time, very little influence. And even if they were to have went out to the streets or like social media for us and made a political, um, or, or a political statement or an uproar in this way, it wouldn't have been necessarily helpful for these guys, okay? And so bond servants, they, a lot of these people, they were like prisoners of war who they were allowed to work to pay off debt or people that were in a, a large amount of debt, they were able to sell themselves to work and, and contractually to pay off a debt, okay? And so what I think has been actually really helpful to go back to the Greek in this word. Like I know, sermon, uh, you know, seminary guy, Bible nerd, go to the Greek, whatever. But I think it's actually really helpful. So let's do that. There's this word doulos, okay? And so this is, what, this is the word that we see that says slaves or bond servants in our passage here. And if you ever need to remember this or need help to remember this, you can say it this way. Doulos a favor and stop using Greek, right? So now you'll remember that, okay? So doulos. And then this is uh, Wayne Grudem. He says this about it. He says you, you can kind of define it this way. It's actually a common employment situation similar to those serving an active military duty. So it's, it's kind of equating to like if you are in active military duty, so what happens? You sign a contract for a certain amount of time, certain amount of years, and you have to fulfill certain obligations, right? The military pays you, but they also tell you what you can or cannot do, right? You can't have a beard. doesn't work for me, right? can't do that. Um, I look like I'm 14 again. So um, that, that's what it's saying here. It's like a contract. It's a, a common employment situation, okay, to put some context on that. So what, what does that equate to us then for today, for modern day? Well, it's like, like I said, it's this idea of work. So the modern day example of doulos, what we're reading our passage today, it's work. So that's what we're going to talk about. So the cool thing about work, <laughs> or, or maybe the, um, the kind of frustrating thing about work, is a lot of us work, right? Okay? Um, we either have at some point in our life or we aspire to work. A lot of us work. And I was doing some research on this, and um, basically, at the end of our lives, at the end of a normal average person's life, we would have worked 90,000 hours, okay, which equates to about 10 to 12 years of our life. That's 10 to 12 years straight, no sleep, no eating, it equates to that long. And we can easily look at that and be like, gosh, that's like taking up all my time, that's a huge part of our everyday life. And so work is so big and part of our everyday life. But I think a lot of us might define work differently. So let's kind of define this a little bit. Maybe I can get some of your interaction here. Um, what is work? Is, is uh, playing video games, is that work? I'm curious if anybody would actually say yes. So trick question, though. It actually depends. Like, if you're a video game developer, then you have the best job in the world, right? And that's work. Um, what about this? Stay-at-home mom, is that work? 
All right, we got moms in here. Okay. So, dude, just to help you guys out, it's totally work. Okay? Like I said, I have two boys, and I've stayed home with the boys by myself. That's a lot of work, man. Okay? You're not getting a paycheck, but it's a lot of work. So what is work? Is it a paycheck? Is it no paycheck? Is it gardening? Is it service to another person? Is it serving at the church? What is it? So let's kind of pick on the culture here a little bit. Here's some cultural views of work. And I was looking this up at salary.com. They kind of clumped it into two different categories, okay? And so for America, how do they really feel about their work? What kind of views do they have? And it's this. 19% of people in America, they say that they, would, they live to work. 70% say that they work to live. So what does that mean? So the 17% who say, or sorry, the 19% who say they live to work, they see work as their identity, okay? So there's no difference between them and what they, and what they do for work. It's totally in, entwined into their identity. They see it as their identity. And so what do they do? They, they fight for a claim to status, okay? That's a status thing for them. They fight for the approval of others. It, it's, it's consuming them. That's their identity. They live to work, okay? So that's 19%. The 70% then, work to live, um, people in this, in this boat would say, man, I just see work as a means to an end, right? It's just something that I just have to do to get by so that I can live, right? It's something that I just have to do. And so if you're in that category, you usually see work as it's just something for me to go get money so that I can buy things that make me really happy so I can eventually retire and do what I actually really want to do. And so it's really not that important. It's just a means to an end. And so these, if you hold any one of these views, these are kind of um, a self-centered, low view of work, especially as the Bible might suggest that work is. And so what this is saying, it's a means to an end. It's either something that you get your identity out of or you just, get, you just do for money. So then, what does the scriptures have to say? Okay, I'm going to give you a quote. There's a ton of different ways that you can quote us quote this, and there's a lot of really good books on this. So Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor, that's a really great resource for you to check out. Or this book that I'm going to quote here from this, oh wait, I got ahead of myself here. When you do this four times, you kind of, you know, repeat yourself, I guess. Okay, let me define it with the scripture here. Um, so this guy, Gary Brashears, he says it this way, um, in d- defining work through what the scripture would say, work is this, it's the biblical doctrine of work is the gracious expression of creative energy for the Lord in the service of others to create shalom. Okay, don't get caught up on that word shalom. What that really means is it means peace. It means service to others and creating like a well-ordered community. Okay, so is our work creating peace in a well-ordered community, this gracious expression? So in other words, work is not where you get your identity, You work out of your identity in Christ. It's not limited to a paycheck. Instead, it's something you do, something that you're expressing your physical and mental energy and creativity from the Lord that you do in service for him and for others. Okay, so yeah, it is a stay-at-home mom. It is the software developer. It's when you serve at the church or elsewhere. So let's tweak the question a little bit then with this perspective and say this, does God have an ideal for our work relationships Absolutely. So let's reread the passage again with that kind of context in mind now, thinking about the workers. So probably everybody in this room, right? So workers, obey your earthly masters or your bosses or your management and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for human masters, not for your bosses or anything like that. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ after all that you are serving and anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Okay, so through this passage, let me give you guys two principles Two principles that I've been thinking up as I've been studying this passage and kind of walk through the, the verse by verse here on what I mean by those things. So the first principle is this. Your work is an act of worship, but it is not to be worshipped. Okay, your work is an act of worship, but not to be worshipped. What do I mean by this? This is that book that I, I got caught up in talking about a little bit ago that I'm talking about now. Um, this book called Garden City, to emphasize the point, he says this. Says everyone, you guys are a modern day Adam or Eve. This world is what's left of the garden. So that's Genesis language. That's when God first made us and He put us in the garden to keep it and those things. He says, and your job is to take all the raw materials that are spread out in front of you, to work it, take care of it, to rule, to subdue, to wrestle, to fight, to explore, and to take the creation project forward as an act of service and worship to the God who made you. Do we see work that way? Do we see it as an act of worship? Or is it something that we worship? Or is it something that we hate because it's taking 90,000 hours of our life, right? Do we see it that way? I can tell you that I, I saw it the, the, the negative way before. I've seen it as an act of, not an act of worship to God, but in something that I worshiped. So I started working when I was 16, okay? I had a job when I was 16. I eventually got two jobs through high school. When I graduated high school, I ended up getting three jobs and, work, and going to school full-time. So here's how I did it. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would go to school from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. so that I can work the rest of the week. And so I'd wake up at 6.30, start landscaping, and then end around 3. And then I was a, a manager, uh, assistant manager at a grocery store until about 4. Um, I mean, from like 3 to 9 p.m. And then from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., I was a manager of a hookah bar. And if you don't know what a hookah bar is, that's totally fine. If you do, you're a hipster, good for you. But that's what I would do. I would work so much. And my identity was in it, right? That's who I was. And that, that could easily happen to you or to me. And so I'll tell you what happened about that, right? So how, how well did that go for me? <laughs> Well, I ended up failing out of college, right? Too busy, too much to do, too much work to do. I had superficial relationships, because all I was doing was working. People um, that I would talk to about work was just superficial. I lived a lifestyle that I couldn't afford, got into debt that I couldn't manage. And literally, one night, this is what opened my eyes to this, one night I woke up in an ambulance. I had passed out at work at the hookah bar. It wasn't because of the hookah, it was because I was working so much, right? And so I passed out and I woke up as an amb- this ambulance and the paramedics were like, dude, what's wrong with you? Are you like on drugs? What's going on? And no, I just explained how like I just work a ton and they're like, dude, you gotta stop. You're burning the candle at both ends. So that's what woke me up to that a little bit. So we can easily worship our work or do we see it as an act of worship? So how does this passage talk about that a little bit? Um, we see these key words here. So workers, right? It says something about obeying your earthly masters and everything. Well, that's interesting. It seems to say that um, as an act of worship, our, obeying our boss or our managers or the leaders, the people that God has put um, before us to lead us, he seems to be saying that that is actually an act of worship. That that's good for you to do, for us to obey our masters, to obey our bosses and things like that. Now, some of you here are probably thinking like, 
yeah, but my, you don't understand, like, my boss is a jerk, <laughs> right? Or my boss is crude, or they don't get leadership, or they, whatever it is. And I just got to say, like, hey, Paul's talking to slaves, <laughs> right? And he's telling that to us, like, hey, this is good. This is a good thing. It's actually an act of worship when we see it differently, when we see our bosses differently, when we obey, when we come underneath them and do those things. And then, of course, he has to put this in there, and he says, do that in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, Right? So not just when the boss is looking, we're like, hey, everything's great, I'm working. And then when he leaves, like, totally be lousy again, right? And he says, no, um, do it when they're not even watching you and to curry their favor. Um, what that means, so you have an, uh, some of you have different translations, and it says, don't be a people pleaser. Okay, I think that's a good translation. I think that's helpful. So it says, don't be a people pleaser. So the question for us then is, are we trying to please other people, like our coworkers, our management, our bosses, more so than we are trying to please Jesus and work for him and everything that we're doing, right? If so, maybe then our worship has shifted from Jesus to our boss, to the paycheck, to the raise, to whatever it might be in our work and the identity that we're trying to get from it. And so this stuff, I think, is an act of worship because the motivation shifts here. You guys see that? The motivation is different. We don't just set our bar low on, on these things. We set it high on how Christ or how God has designed work and how it should be. And so it goes further to say that, man, it's supposed to be in, in sincerity and reverence for the Lord. Do we see that? Do we have that in our workplace? Okay, in verse 23 here, it goes on to say, and whatever you do, work at it with all your, your heart, Right? Work at it with all your heart. So whatever you do, do it for the Lord and don't do it for other people. Setting the bar here. And I think that's interesting. He says that whatever you do, so whatever you do for work, stay-at-home mom, software develop, whatever it is, do it for him. I think something we get caught up into is that we compartmentalize our lives, right? It's so easy to do. So I can be one person on the stage here and be totally different at work, right? I guess for not for me, this is my work, but you get what I'm saying, right? You can be one person at home, and be a totally different person at work. Maybe you have two jobs. You can be one person at that one job, be a totally different person at the other job than you are at home in these other spaces and areas of your life. Are, this, are you the same person when you work? Are you following the Lord in the same ways? Here's an example here. Um, some of you know this. I, I've worked at Apple for the last several years. I just recently quit, but um, it was always amazing to me when I would accidentally find out somebody was Christian, <laughs> right? So how do you accidentally find that out? Well, um, I'd be in conversation with somebody, and they'll, like, ask what I do, and i talk to them about how, you know, I work at a church, this and that. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to this church. I'm like, I had no idea by the way you worked that you were a Christ follower, right? And so I remember asking one of my buddies about this, and he was like, yeah, I, I just... I choose not to be, like, a Christian at work, right? And so he said that, man, if I were to have those same values and be that same way, then I wouldn't be able to get the raise or the respect from other people. And this was his mentality. This was his mindset. He thought that way, okay? And so what happens is you end up ultimately worshiping the apple and not the creator, okay? Pun intended, right? That's what happened in Genesis. <laughs> and so that's what happens. We get worshipful of our work and make our identity out of that instead of what the Lord has for us. And so it's interesting, um, on the opposite end, and I'm not trying to boast of myself, but um, w when I did work at Apple, I remember my mind changing this way of seeing work as an act of worship, right? It it's really easy. When you work for a company like that, that's a big company, it's really easy to get your identity into there and say, like, oh, look at me. I work at Apple. Like, I'm awesome, right? It's easy to do. It's really easy to do. Instead, 
remember God changing my mind on these things. And when, every day that I go to work at Apple, I'd always pray and say, God, like, help me understand how I can love you and love other people in and through my work. Help me be excellent for that reason, not for the raise, not for the paycheck, not the people, please, not these other things. And what ended up happening was I, always, I would have managers come up to me and say, dude, how is it that you're always smiling, that you work really hard, and you actually care for people and take the time to, to love on people? How are you doing that when you keep having babies and you keep going to school and you work full-time at the church, blah, 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 and it opens up an opportunity for me to share Christ with these people? And so I got that opportunity because of how I viewed my work. It's an awesome thing. So, verse 24 then, it says something really cool here. It says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Okay, so what are we talking about here? He's talking about salvation a little bit here. And he's saying, man, do you realize that you're going to get some sweet rewards in heaven? Right? We don't really know what those rewards are, but we know it's going to be sweet. Okay? And not, not only that, but we have eternal life. We have salvation with the Lord, and it's because we're serving him. So are we fighting for the rewards that we may or may not get here on, the earth, on this earth in our jobs more so than working out of a response to the, the rewards, the inheritance that we get from God already? So how do we know when we're worshiping our work? Um, how do we know when we're worshiping our work? Ask your spouse, <laughs> right? Ask your kids. Ask your friends. I think that's a pretty good indicator. They might tell you. I know I've seen people, because of their worship of work, their family falls apart because of it. They're not home. They just want to work more and more. And I think that's easy for me. It's easy for me. As it might be more of a guy thing, but I'm like, I will always bend back to working, right? When I'm bored or things aren't going right at home, what do I want to do? I just play it off and do more work, right? That's like my stress thing. I just enjoy working. And so that's a good indicator. Is, are those things taking over your family? Where are your boundaries? Do you have the work-life balance at home? It's really, really important and a good indicator for these things. And furthermore, does anyone at your work even know that you're working for Jesus? <laughs> does anybody know that? Or did you have to accidentally, someone accidentally finds that out? So here's this thing for you. You know your work is an act of worship then when you do it for the glory of God and for the service of others and not for the glory of yourself to serve yourself, right? You know that that's an act of worship when those things line up there. So instead, we go into work every day and we, we like kind of pray like I said I pray, like, God, how are you changing me and my mind about today? And how can I work as if for you? And how can I serve other people instead of just serving my purposes, my thoughts? All right, that's the first principle. Second principle is this. Maybe. There we go. Okay. Your work should create shalom. There's that word again. Your work should create shalom and not discord. Remember, shalom is just that word that means peace. Or, or even more than that, it means like um, the service of others to create kind of a well-balanced, a well-ordered community. So does your work create peace for others? Does it, work, does it create a sense of community in that way? Or does it create discord? So a good example about this, let me brag on my wife for a little bit. I think she does an amazing job at doing this. So her, what's her first job? first job is a stay-at-home mom, right? And what does she do there? She works her butt off to try to make it a peaceful environment, right? And it's hard. There's no glory in there. There's no paycheck. There's just dirty butts and more house to clean all the time. And she, she does this with um, her mindset as she's doing it for the Lord, right? And she's creating peace in our home 
and for me and for her to live there and to teach our kids how to be Christ-centered in that way. But she also has a second job, right? She has a secondary job, and what she does is she's a photographer. Some of you guys know that, and you've supported her. Thank you. Um, and I, I think it's amazing and beautiful what she's able to do in that field of work. She's very passionate about this because she's very passionate about people, right? She's very passionate about families and young children and, and those types of things. And so she, what she does, she takes these beautiful moment pictures. She likes to call it like lifestyle photography where she'll, she'll request to go out with the, this family to doing what they normally do, like maybe a carnival or a park or something, and just capture those beautiful moments as they're just having fun with each other. And I think it's cool. It creates a sense of community. It shows the family that she loves and cares for them and passionate about them. And it shows everyone else that um, who this family is. And what she does after she takes those photos, she goes to social media, which we can often use very wrongly, right? And she uses it in such a peaceful way. And she'll write up these awesome things about how she got to know this family and what she loves about this family and what these pictures and these times and these memories mean to them. She's creating peace. She's creating a sense of well-ordered community with her work. And it's beautiful. So what you do at work, what you do for work, and how you work it actually really matters. It matters to God, and hopefully it matters to you and to me. That's a lot of time, right? 10 to 12 years worth of our life to waste it, right? Or maybe we can use it wisely. So does your work, if you're just thinking about it, think about how you work and what you do for work. Is that creating peace to God and community and peace for others? So verse 25 here says this, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. So that's interesting. So we just got done talking about peace, but does your work create this? Does it create wrongdoing, either out of you, or is your work in itself something that's like wrong, right? Is it creating that? And why do I use this word discord? I like this word for a couple of reasons. Number one, you can define it this way. It's any confused or harsh noise. Um, or you can say it this way. It's, it's a dis disagreement between people. So here's another example of this. Um, I, I had a professor in, in my undergrad, and he would just rail against this topic and these, this type of thinking. And so he was really passionate about Christians in the work environment. Okay, he was, he's a Christian himself, a Christian professor, and um, a while ago he owned, him and his family owned an ice cream shop. So they would hire young Christians to come work for them. And so what we always hear from him is this really terrible experience of him hiring Christian workers and how he will never hire Christian workers ever again. <laughs> and why is that? And he'll tell you it's because they were the most disagreeing, loud and obnoxious, entitled people that he ever hired, more so than anybody else. Like, that's not sweet at all. <laughs> and so what's going on there? I think what he found out is a lot of these people, he would hire these Christian people, right? And they would just be so caught up in not wanting to serve people custard ice cream or whatever, not see that as a ministry, but they would just complain and say, I can't wait till I can just be in ministry instead or do something else instead, complaining, right? I think what happens is sometimes we, we focus so much on what we would rather do, right, instead of actually being good at and excellent at creating peace in and shalom in what we're doing now. So we just, like, think about when you're at work, and obviously work is going to be hard. We're going to complain sometimes. I get that. But how can we see outside of that a little bit? right? And I think the problem is a lot of us, we might not see that work is good and that God created work. 
Um, there's something that I do with my three-year-old Emery. Um, I think it's fun as I'm trying to disciple him at the age of three, which is really challenging, by the way, but it's good work, right? And so what we do, like when we're driving or when we're walking down the street or something, I'll just point, it's so simple, it's just point at a tree and be like, hey, Emery, who made that tree? You know, he's starting to say, like, God made that tree. He's starting to get it. It's like, oh, okay, cool, good job, buddy. Who made the clouds? God made the clouds. Nice job, buddy. Um, who made the stop sign? God made the stop sign. Like, no, some dude made the stop sign. So I'll throw a curveball in there sometimes. But uh, um, why do I say that? Well, let me ask you guys, church, who made work? Anybody? Who made work? God made work. Good job, guys. Nice. Um, why do I say that? Because a lot of us, if we're honest, when we're at work, we think that Satan made work, and it's awful, right? <laughs> Taking 10 to 12 hours of my life, or days, 10 to 12 years of my life, and we complain about it and we think of it that way. Well, not to be a bummer, but uh, God made work, and he made it before the fall. So are we going to work in heaven? Probably. So not to bum you guys out, but work is a part of our life, and it might be forever. And so a lot of us see work as a curse, and it's not. However, I will say it is cursed, right? We go, we skip from Genesis 1 to, to Genesis 3. We see that when the fall happened, when sin entered the, the realm, um, God put some, put some things on work and said it's going to be harder for you. So work is cursed. It's going to be harder. It's going to be a hard thing to do, right? However, how do, we, how do we see it differently? And we don't want to hear this at all, but this is what verse 25 says. We've got to talk about it. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid in their wrongs. So how we obey our masters, right? I guess to translate better, how we obey our bosses when we're lousy at work, when we're doing things that we should not be doing instead of working for the excellence of Christ, when we're doing those things, when, we're work, when our work is harmful, when we're having harmful work relationships at our work, those things matter to God. And we're going to be morally responsible to him. We don't like to hear that, but I think that's what we're getting here. So, how do you know then if you're creating shalom or peace or a sense of community in your work instead of discord? Well, ask yourself, is what you're doing every day something that you or others have to question if it's moral, if it's beneficial to others? We just have to ask ourselves that because um, it might be because of the way that you're acting at work or it might be because of the work or the field that you're in in general. So some of us, if we're honest, we'll have to pray. We have to actually pray to God and say, God, can you change? Can you transform my mind on th in thinking of how I view my work, okay? Um, or maybe some of us honestly just need to find a new job. <laughs> Quite honestly, maybe we just need to find a new job. Maybe we're, it's just not the right place, right? And he, don't, hear me, don't hear me saying that everyone needs to quit their job because they work with a bunch of sinners and need to get a job in ministry. That would be awful, right? That's 10 to 12 years. That's a lot of time. We need people showing Christ in their workplace. We need that. And so don't think that I'm saying like, oh, if you hate the people at your work, then you should find a new job, right? That's not true either. I didn't say that in the last message, but someone came up to me like, dude, thanks, man. I've been totally thinking about quitting my job and uh, brewing some beer. And I'm like, well, that might be sweet, but why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. That's between you and the Lord there. But really, is it creating peace or is it creating discord? So that's kind of all I have. I'm going to draw the line there for work, at least. Um, we're going to talk more about work next week. Um, but there's one other thing I want to bring up that's really interesting, kind of coming back around from what we talked about earlier. And this is really weird because the Bible shows another aspect of slavery, okay? And it says this, and another modern-day example is that we, are, that, that we can be slaves of Christ. Isn't that weird to say? To be slaves of Christ or workers of Christ or servants of Christ. 
Christ. So let me show you a passage to kind of emphasize this point here. Romans 6 says this, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So everyone in this room, right, we're all slaves or have been slaves to something, to your worship of work, right? I think that's called workaholism, right? Is that the right word? I know it's sometimes harder to say than Greek for me, but maybe we're slaves to our work. Maybe we're slaves to whatever it is, to the alcohol, to that relationship, to whatever it is you're thinking. You know what that might be. But are we going to stay there? Are we going to stay slaves to this thing that leads to death and disobedience? We're going to stay there. Or are we going to take God up on this opportunity and, and provide and, and really become a servant of him instead, freeing us up to serve him like in our work and other places in our life? This is the gospel right here. And we often say it this way, that we are more messed up than we think we are. We're slaves to so many more things than we think that we really are. We're, we're more messed up than we think we are, but we are more accepted than we could ever imagine. And so Christ, Jesus says this, I think that, man, we can become something better. We can become a servant of something greater, of the one real true master, and that's God, that's Jesus, right? And so I'm going to invite the band up now, and I'll just say, if that's you, if you're kind of in that category, if, if, you're, if you're seeing this and you're saying, man, I've been a slave to this thing, that's not leading to, to anything good. That's leading to death. And I want to accept that offer to be a servant, to enlist in God's army instead, to be a servant of him. There's nothing crazy that you got to do. You just pray. You just say, God, like, I see that now. I see those areas of my life that I'm being a slave to this thing. But I want to enlist in your army. I want to be a soldier of you. I want to be a servant of you, Christ, instead. So maybe that's some of you in this room to think that way. For others of us, and myself including, here's a challenge that um, as I've been processing this and studying this passage, this has been very um, encouraging, convicting, and opening to me, and this is what I would have for us, for the rest of us here. How will the love of Jesus in us as individuals, so think of you and your individual workplace, what you do for work, how, does the, how will the love of Jesus in us as individuals and in community as the church, right, we don't have to do this stuff alone, right, we have each other, we have the church, how will the love of Jesus transform us and how we work? Okay, how is this changing our mind again? Instead of looking at that 10 to 12 years as a curse, instead of seeing that as a blessing, seeing yourself as image bearers of Christ in your work and that it is good. Or how will the love of Jesus transform our work so that others see Jesus? Right, does someone have to accidentally find out you're a Christian or are you going to work for Christ and that just comes out anyways. So that's what we're talking about here. So that's what I got for you guys. We should probably pray about these things. All right. Well, Jesus, um, you are good. And God, I just thank you for your word. And thank you that you have created us and you created us for, for certain things. And you said it was good. God, you, you created us to work, to be image bearers of you. And Lord, I just, I just pray that, that our mind would change about work, even right now, that we don't, we don't go into work tomorrow or later this week and, 
and begrudgingly do what our bosses tell us to do or anything like that, but God, that we see it as, as a ministry, whether we're in full-time vocational ministry or not, it doesn't matter. God, where we work, what we do, it's important to you, and it's a ministry. God, help us to view it that way. Transform our mind in thinking that way. And God, help us to, to, to use that as an outreach for others, that people would look at our work and say, man, there's something different about this person and how they work. What is their motivation? And to be able to see that the motivation is you, Christ, and not people-pleasing or the paycheck or anything like that. And God, for those of us who, um, man, who are just slaves to something else, God, help free us from that, from that bondage. Help us to, to serve, to enlist in your army, Christ, to be a servant of you, Jesus. So I pray these things for all of us here today. In Jesus' name, amen.